Welcome, everybody, to Connecting the Universe. I'm author and researcher Mike Ricksecker. Have an interesting class for you this evening here uh, from the Connected Universe portal. We are going to be talking about mysteries of the stone circle. So this is always a fascinating subject for me to dive down this rabbit hole. And you know, lately we've been talking about the inner workings of the universe, uh, the future of humanity, uh, interdimensional concepts of the universe. And I believe that these stone circles play a part in that as well. I see uh, Sean Coletta has joined us. Uh, Jeanette joined us a little bit ago too. Uh, so you know, people are starting to, to filter into the live stream. For those that listen to the podcast later, if you want to be part of the actual vis visual presentation, ask your questions during uh, the class and all those things, please join us live. Wednesday nights, 8 o'clock p.m., connecteduniverseportal.com, 30-day free trial on the membership, uh, and then you can uh, join the class weekly. And we have all kinds of other things that are included uh, as well. It's not just a, a weekly class, but we have uh, we have all the articles on the back end, all kinds of, uh, we got the, the ancient Egypt videos, the American Southwest uh, uh, features, and just a whole bunch of behind-the-scenes stuff. So, and there's Tom McNicholas. All right, Tom. Tom has joined us. So I posted a question for the class, our class question here. And that was, if it will pop up. There we go. A little slow last night with Edge of the Rabbit Hole, too, the, uh, the visuals for some reason. So the question was, what do you think stone circles were used for in ancient times? Yeah, that big question. We have we have ideas and theories, right? But uh, I wanted to get your guys' take on what you think they are. So uh, just kind of run down because you guys had a lot of responses for this one, uh, which is great. I really appreciate you guys responding to the class questions. So Tom McNicholas, who just joined us a, a moment ago, says, I believe that the circular formation had time and calendar information that used the sun for alignment. Yeah, yeah. there's a, a lot of belief about astronomical alignments. Absolutely. Uh, Jeanette Kemp. I had said, I think there were several different uses, calendar, different kinds of rituals, and even possibly a grave, you know, kind of all of the above. Uh, Mary Haygood also said rituals. Uh, Sean Coletta said, uh, location of natural energy focal power, a place of harnessable energy that can be used for numerous things, including healing, astral travel, and a portal between dimensions. I think that as usage of these spots for their purposes diminished, so has that energy. Their expiration dates have long since passed. So uh, that's an interesting commentary by Sean. And and yeah, these these locations, uh, you know, we use that term ancient sites of power because they were uh, absolutely uh, tapping into that earth energy. And we've uh, we've covered this in several of our our classes. We even have a, a specific class on earth energy where you have those telluric currents that run through the earth. The, uh, the the term a lot of people use is, is ley lines, which are really the geographic alignment of the uh, of the features that we see with our eyes, like the monuments, like Stonehenge, uh, the temples, the cathedrals. These things that are built on top of uh, those telluric currents, and those create the ley. It's really the energy running throughout the earth that uh, that we're interested in. And then you have the conductivity discontinuities, which is uh, the crossing of those uh, of those currents. A lot of people talk about them being nodes is kind of the easier term for us to remember. Ley lines, nodes, it's much simpler than telluric currents and conductivity discontinuity. I know. <laughs> but those are where you see like you know, pyramids and things like that built on top of to harness that energy. Um, Interesting comment, and we can kind of talk about it as we go along, um, that as usage of the spots for their purpose diminished, so has that energy. Um, I, I don't necessarily think that the energy has diminished as it is that the, uh, you know, what they used to tap into it, you know, the stones themselves over thousands and thousands of years have gotten weaker. They've become weathered down. Their alignments have been skewed a little bit. They're not in that pristine condition that they were long, long ago, uh, in which they were able to actually harness that energy. I mean, like take the, uh, you know, the pyramids, for instance, you know, there was a uh, function for those casing stones that were on the pyramids, and now you know, almost all the casing stones are gone. So 
uh, you know, the functionality, the way that they were able to be used is missing. So, um, but people go to those sites and they still do feel a palpable energy. It's, it's certainly not as strong as it was. And I think that's because of the fact that they built it in such a way to be able to harness it. And we don't have that knowledge of how they build it. And of course, we're not also not going to restore it to its original condition either. So, um, but that's an interesting commentary, Sean. Thank you for that. Appreciate it. So let's go ahead and get into this. So mentioned Stonehenge and, uh, you know, this is mysteries of the stone circle. So this is kind of an interesting tale about Stonehenge, if you believe it. All right. So the Stonehenge hippies, I don't know how many of you guys may know this story. I, I have mentioned it here, uh, on connecting the universe before, uh, this was in 1971. This is the story of the Stonehenge, Stonehenge hippies. In August of that year, a small group of young adults set up camp at Stonehenge. Back when you were able to do that, where you could just walk up to the place at night and set up camp. Um, a long time since you've been able to do that, but you used to be able to do that. Uh, they're having a good time, enjoying themselves that evening. But all of a sudden, that area, Stonehenge, and the sky above it lit up with this blue light. Uh, there was a policeman that happened to be passing by at the time and he witnessed this and then as soon as excuse me as soon as the blue light subsided the the young adults were gone the kids were gone uh the policeman said that all that he was able to find were their backpacks and there was supposed to be a, a journal and, and these sorts of things there Plays like an urban legend. You know, it's one of those, do you believe the tale or not? And it may just be an urban legend. Um, it's a fun one. <laughs> but it's one of those that leads into the idea that, you know, there's something going on at these ancient sites. Uh, that there is a, a palpable power to them. And, you know, they could be opening up portals. You know, Sean was talking about, you know, portals in, in his uh, description earlier. It could be opening up portals, or maybe they at least once did. Uh, people talk about these uh, sites and circles being uh, points of interest for UFOs and extraterrestrial activities. So, you know, blue light out of the sky, were they getting abducted? Again, you know, urban legend sort of thing, but, you know, you hear about these different reports. And then our, you know, we have speculation back into the past of, what they may have been used for back in ancient days are these things that they were used for. And you guys hit on, you know, a lot of the the different ideas, you know, whether used for calendars, used for, um, you know, the, the different cycles, ceremonial and ritual purposes, um, you know, graves, you know, there, there are graves found nearby some of these locations. So, you know, it's kind of like any and all of the above, and we're going to explore some of these different things tonight. So, we're going to go back. We're going to go back into that past. And uh, I, I posted a couple of photos today on Instagram and Facebook from Napta Playa out in Egypt. I, I did get to visit this uh, last year when, when I was out in Egypt, last June. It's, a, uh, it's, a, it's an interesting location. There's Victoria. She says she's listening. Thank you, Victoria. <laughs> My co-host is from Edge of the Rabbit Hole. Uh, because... This is not where it used to be. So you have the smaller stones and then you have some larger ones. So there's multiple stone formations here. Uh, it's older than Stonehenge. Uh, it's about 7,000 years old. Although people refer to it as uh, Egypt's Stonehenge, which is kind of a misnomer since it is much, much older than Stonehenge itself. But it is what it is. Stonehenge is... By far the, the more popular, the most popular hinge, really. Um, and hinge just means circle. It doesn't have to be stone. Um, you, you can have a wooden hinge, by the way. Um, we had uh, here in America, we had wooden hinges around places like Cahokia Mounds. They had wooden hinges there. Uh, those are the, the Cahokia Mound is the uh, largest pyramid north of Mesoamerica. It's in, it's in Illinois, just across the uh, river from St. Louis. So hinge is just uh, a, a term for uh, that type of circle. 
and so, you know, we attribute that uh, Stonehenge to stones, but a lot of them are stones. In any case, Napa Playa. Um, yeah, like I said, this thing has been moved. It was out in the middle of the desert. And a few years back, they wanted to preserve it, uh, even though it was a long trek out there, um, not very favorable. If, if you guys have seen um, the Pyramid Code, uh, Robert Baval makes a trip out there, and I forget the woman he ends up just hap happens to run into out there. But uh, it was quite a trek for them to get out there into the middle of the desert to get to this place. Now, when it was built 7,000 years ago, it was you know, not a desert out there. It is now. Um, but because it was becoming uh, more popular, especially you know, with uh, you know, documentaries like The Pyramid Code, they decided let's let's preserve this thing, uh, let's bring it, let's bring it home or bring it in house really. So it's set up out right out, right outside the Nubia Museum in Aswan. Um, so uh, there are people that say that this is the first astronomical site. Um, we'll talk about Gobekli Tepe. A little bit later, but I think Gobekli Tepe would have something to say about that. Um, but in an analysis published in the journal Nature in 1998, uh, they did show that Napta Playa was to have once aligned with uh, Arcturus, Sirius, Alpha Centauri, as well as Orion. And of course, we see those connections to Orion, the alignment of Orion to the pyramids. So you can kind of see throughout Egyptian history that you have Napta Playa aligning with Orion, although it's aligning with several different star systems. Uh, and then, of course, you have the pyramids that align with Orion. So there's a clip that I want to show you. I see you guys have some comments uh, down in the chat. So Sarah Yusuf and Anne Celine have joined us. Um, that is fantastic. Tom McNicholas asking me, what kind of stone are they made of? You know, Tom, off the top of my head, I do not know what type of stone <laughs> the Napta Playa stones are made out of. Um, it's, it's not the Aswan rose quartz um, or rose granite, I'm sorry. Because um, that, that's a very, very distinct color. You'd be able to tell. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll write that question down. You know, what stone are they made out of off the top of my head i don't know um and sarah asking if these ancient sites of power are so important why hasn't knowledge from these civilizations been passed down more readily uh, our what well, we do this today our ancient ancestors our ancient civilizations um to the victor go the spoils, and to the victor goes the writing of history. Uh, there's there's been a lot of destruction in our in our ancient past, and we see it today. You know, we we saw it a, a couple of years ago. Um, what was it, in Syria when they were blowing up uh, different ancient monuments? You know, my God's better than your God. I'm going to blow up your monuments. Um, I'm going to eradicate your people. Um, it's been genocide. Uh, there's also been, you know, ancient cataclysms in, which has wiped out large numbers of people and the, you know, we lost the knowledge over time. You know, how is it we lost the knowledge of how to build things like uh, the pyramids or uh, the trilithon out in Lebanon, you know, those you know, massive, massive stones that we can't even move today with our technology, but they knew how. And over time, we lost that knowledge. Um, you know, and you can you can see just like looking at you know Egyptian history as they began to uh, lose power over the millennia. Like the Greeks came in, Alexander the Great, and Alexander the Great, and so then you had this massive Greek influence, and then they started to lose power. Um, and then you know you had all kinds of other cultures. You know, it was a large uh, Arab culture there for long periods of time, and it was what around 300 A.D. something like that you had the last person who could translate the hieroglyphs and then all of a sudden we couldn't translate them for um you know 1800 years so you know we, we kind of lose that over time because of these different these different things that happen so 
like I said, there's a there's a clip that I want to play for you uh, from the Naphtha Playa Stones. Um, it features Muhammad Ibrahim and uh, Johnny Enoch. So Muhammad is going is the guy that's gonna uh, he's basically the tour guide, uh, but runs uh, Guide of Egypt. So it's his ho- his tour company. He's he's the one that I'm partnering with for the Stargates Stargates of Ancient Egypt tour next year. We're gonna have some information on that here uh, very very soon. And so let me bring this up. Uh, here you go. From Napta Playa last June. These two formations were found deep in the southwest desert of Egypt uh, in an area called Napta Playa. Uh, but because they are, as you can see, or they were in uh, the middle of nowhere, so it was very easy for any adventurers or any tomb raiders to go and to take the, uh, the stones. So it was collected by the Egyptian government and they brought them here to the Nubian Museum and they bought them with the same order, okay, the same and the same uh, kind of direction. So this is the small one and that would be big one. We can understand from the big pieces, in, in my opinion, that it used to be bigger pieces than this. Like you can see some parts are missing. Some parts are missing here and missing there. So my guessing that it was huge. used to be a huge formation and those adventurers or the people who felt that they are uh, taking some uh, pieces from these energetic stones. So they allowed themselves to cut uh, pieces and take it with them as private collection. And this could be the same story also. But in general, this is the only, uh, that is the original shape of the stone or no, we are talking about a group of people put these stones to tell us a message that they, there was one day certain alignment, but above our heads, at the sky. We can see as if they are talking about a huge alignment of stars. That was a message, or they are trying to tell us one day if this alignment will happen again, something is going to happen. There is there is another, or let's say, a phenomenon is connected with this alignment. And that phenomenon could be one of two things. As a warning, this is a warning, like be careful if this you see this alignment, be careful. Or this will be a very important energetic day. So we still are not sure about the message behind this or that. Now, another thing I want to add, if you guys remember from the presentation that we did yesterday about the 900 megalithic henges that lead up from Stonehenge, Avebury, and all those areas. My friend David Halpin, when I've been with him over in Wicklow, we visited the sites. He works over at the museum in Dublin. And one of the things that he has mapped out with the stars is that the exact replica of this at Napta Playa is found over in Bulky Kerrigan Hill and Bolton Glass Hill in Ireland. And he has proven it, shown it, mapped it, and shown the diagram showing that the same builders would be responsible leading all up here in that pattern, which is very interesting. Yeah, and we're going to be talking about that in just a second. But I see Tom has posted information about the uh, uh, the stones at Stonehenge. So I thought you were referring to the the stones at Napta Playa. So my mistake. But yeah, you have you have that uh, what you post there, sarsen stones, and then the uh, blue stones from Wales. And we're going to be talking about that a little bit later here. Uh, so we'll we'll get into that. Uh, but yeah, so uh, Johnny makes a interesting remark there. Another connection between uh, Egypt and Ireland. Now we did that class back at the beginning of December on the connections between. Egypt and Ireland, and Anne, thank you uh, again very much for some of those links that uh, that put me on that path. Um, it's going to be something that uh, when we are doing our tour out in Ireland uh, this summer, which there's two tickets left now, so kind of slowly whittling down. We've had the thing sold out like three times, um, and then it keeps opening back up with a couple of tickets. So we have two tickets left uh, to the uh, Ancient Mysteries of Ireland tour. But we are going to have what we do on these tours is um, you know every couple of nights we'll sprinkle in uh, a little presentation 
uh, about you know, some information and, and you know, interesting history, some esoteric knowledge, that sort of thing. And so uh, one of those nights out there in Ireland, we're going to be doing the Egypt and Ireland connections. And uh, you know, Johnny points out uh, this particular one between Napta Playa and uh, Balting Glass, which I'm, I'm not very familiar with. In fact, uh, when I grabbed this clip, I was, I was grabbing it for uh, Mohammed's presentation. I totally forgot Johnny had uh, commented on that. I mean, we're talking, you know, back in June. And so this is, this is Balting Glass. And so um, it has a, a similar alignment to, to Napta Playa, which is, you know, very, very interesting. Um, so I I'm not going to go a lot into it here, uh, but there is an interesting article, and I'll post it after the class into the group. Uh, it's called Balton Glass Hill, Ireland's Forgotten uh, Gobekli Tepe. Uh, and it, it is uh, written by uh, David Halpin, uh, Johnny's friend that he mentioned. And I'll, I'll put that link in there. But there's a lot that's going on at this site. So you have the stone alignment, uh, the stone circle that's there. It's configured uh, like Napta Playa. You have an ancient observatory out there, structures that were once called tombs, but they're thinking they're more likely to be ceremonial sites that are astronomically aligned. And then other structures and stone slabs uh, with carvings that are strewn throughout the site and down into the woods. Uh, so a very, very interesting site. Uh, we, are, we are not hitting that uh, location on our Ireland tour. Uh, but I'm going to mark it down for future Ireland too. It's, it's not in the same locations that the other uh, spots that we're going to. So, but I'm going to mark it down for, hey, this is one we should definitely check out on a future Ireland tour. It's going to, that would be a fantastic location to hit, especially if we're talking, uh, you know, ancient mysteries. <clears throat> but, uh, but again, you have these same asterisk alignments uh, there in Ireland, there in Egypt. Fantastic connection. And we're going to see uh, we're going to see some more of that uh, as as we go along these these different connections and that's all part of you know the connected the un the connected universe and that's why we have the connected universe portal that's why this uh, class is called connecting universe because these things are all connected and uh, and those connections between Ireland and Egypt are fascinating so if you if you missed that class by all means go back and check it you can uh, it's up there uh, connected universe portal. Uh, just go into that member, uh, member section there. So, all right. Um, and uh, thank you, Victoria, for, for putting that in. The mayor was asking about the, uh, the tickets. And uh, thank you for uh, putting that in there. And then, uh, yes, yes, definitely. And love the connections between Ireland and Egypt. So we're going to see some other interesting connections here in just a moment, too. But we're staying in Ireland for just a little bit here. Uh, and talk about our tour, because this is someplace that we're going to be going to this summer. Uh, in Ireland is Drombeg Stone Circle, also known as the Druid's Altar. And um, it's, it's pretty unanim unanimous that this was used as a, as a ceremonial site. Um, it is a small axial stone circle in County Cork in Ireland. Uh, it's believed to have originally consisted of 17 stones in a currently has 13. So a couple of the stones have gone missing uh, over the years. So then the question is, what is meant by an axial stone circle? So this is a type of megalithic ring of stones uh, generally found in County Cork and County Kerry in Ireland. It's aligned in a northeast to southwest direction. And at the southwest side, as you see here in this photograph, it contains a stone that is lying down horizontally, and that marks the axis. Uh, there are also two portal stones, they call them portal stones, stand about six feet tall, uh, that mark the entrance to the circle. And basically, those are straight ahead. If, you're, if you see the axis stone there, uh, if you look straight ahead, those two taller stones that are just directly in front of it, those are the portal stones. Uh, and at this particular site, the portal stones and the axial stone are aligned with the setting sun at the winter solstice. That's kind of interesting because you think about um, you know, kind of one of the extremely famous ancient sites in Ireland, Newgrange. Now, it's also aligned with the winter solstice, but with the rising sun at the summer solstice. So 
a little bit different. It's still aligned. Uh, I'm sorry, winter solstice. It's still aligned with the winter solstice. Is one is rising sun, one is setting sun, which I, I, I find that kind of interesting, the little, the little differences like that. Um, so the uh, so why is the winter solstice important? Uh, so you know, according to an old Celtic myth, on the solstices of each year, the oak king representing the light and the holly king representing the representing the dark would fight with the oak king emerging victorious at the winter solstice, enabling the return of the light. So this celebration of the shortest day and longest night of the year marks the return of the light as days begin to lengthen once once more, which is uh, which is seen as an occasion of rebirth and renewal. That's why we have a lot of holidays around uh, the winter solstice, which of course over over time, you know, those different religions and uh, customs kind of got intertwined. So that's why we have Christmas around that time and and other holidays as well. They all kind of got that mishmash together. Um, so that's why we have that at, at the winter solstice. Uh, it's, and it's interesting, again, the way that one is rising, one is setting. Uh, but they're in a little bit different parts of Ireland too. So it could be just that particular set of, of druids. Um, and again, this, is a, this one here is a ceremonial site where uh, Newgrange is a burial mound. So that could play into that as well. So what's also interesting, <clears throat> excuse me, what's also interesting about the Newgrange site. So what was it, a week and a half ago now um, for the tour, uh, uh, Maria Schmidt, who, <clears throat> who heads up uh, Mysterious Adventures Tour, had put together a little uh, Mysteries of Ireland presentation uh, with myself and Anne Massey. Um, and Massey, uh, can't remember if she owns and operates or part owner or helps with, uh, uh, spooky aisle tours out there. Uh, and you know, so she's in Ireland. So she's been out to, you know, many of those, lo these locations a number of times. And she made an interesting comment that, uh, around the circle area, and you can see some of the foliage uh, that's kind of around there in the background, that there are all these different you know, thorny prickly plant plants that will grow up, but they won't come into the circle area. They're only around. And that's a really interesting remark and kind of struck me because it's something that we talked about Again, going back to Egypt, when we were out in Egypt, um, it's something Mohammed would talk about a lot. A lot of these different uh, ancient sites of power would have the, the, prickly, the prickly plants, the thorny plants growing around outside of them. So I have kind of a partial clip at the Valley Temple right outside the Great Sphinx. Um, I started recording it. A little bit late. Muhammad was already into describing it. So you're going to hear the tail end of him describing this. And, um, yeah, I, I knew we had talked about it then. I couldn't think where else we may have talked about it elsewhere along the tour. And I was not going to go through hours and hours and hours of footage to try to find a better version of this when I knew it was right there and I was kind of limited for time. Um, but you guys have access uh, as part of the connected universe portal you have access to all of that uh egypt footage that i posted you guys have like two and a half hours worth of video um the actual uh course that i've put together has 12 hours um of you know additional classes and all that uh, for those listening later that are that are interested so let me bring up this clip here you go static energy so not only on the ground, but also grows in, in between the blocks, which is like a miracle because this is like uh, uh, not a good environment for any land. This is uh, limestone, which is like salt. So this is what we call it the Valley Temple, giant blocks from limestone. 
which is a big question. Why this size? Why? Like a small block like this will be more than enough. Okay? I will tell you why inside. That is not the only question here or the only problem. That from inside, it was covered with big blocks of granite, granites and also from outside. But we don't see it because it was falling apart. But here we can see some of it still attached. Okay, and from there he starts going into the intricately cut blocks. It basically was a lintel that was on top of the the uh, the temple and how it basically was machine cut in an era when they weren't supposed to have those type of machines. And we saw that a lot out there. These, you know, these fantastically machine cut blocks that there's no way that you're cutting that with, uh, with, with copper chisels and him to cut granite copper chisels by the way and actually at the Cairo museum there's this uh, sarcophagus that's there and what they did is they would cut the uh, lid of the sarcophagus off the back of it and there's one that they didn't finish cutting and you can see the circular saw blades and my, my dad's a machinist and I showed him uh, you know, the photos from there. I'm like, dad, what in the world would cut granite like that? And he's looking at it and he's like, that would be a diamond tip saw. <laughs> so, but they weren't supposed to have that back then, according to mainstream. But in any case, um, you could see some of the, the thorny plants there on the outside of, of the Valley Temple. And there are a number of locations around Egypt where we saw at these different ancient, ancient sites of power, the thorny plant. Like, uh, like we saw at Drombeg. And um, another example, this is like totally on a different side of the planet. Uh, when I filmed for the Alaska Triangle, there were all these uh, around that area. We, we found a clearing on the side of the mountain, but um, you can kind of see here some of that, that brambles and the prickly plants, the, the thorny plants that were around that area. And the, one of the camera guys got into it to get a cool photo like that um, or a cool video clip of me walking with the dowsing rods. Um, now, this was an area that you know, we just took a shot in the dark to see if we could find some of those tuller currents, some of that energy that was up there. And I, sure enough, I found it. Um, now, there's no stone circles up there. You know, that's, that's kind of one of the things about um, Alaska, why it really hasn't been tapped into for um, you know, this type of research is that you don't have those structures there. You don't have the, the ancient stone circles. You don't have, you know, the temples and, and all of these things. Um, they just weren't built up there. But that doesn't mean the energy isn't there. And that's where I talk about, like, the difference between, like, ley lines and telluric currents. The telluric currents are definitely there in Alaska. Uh, they have that energy. The ley lines aren't there because you don't have the geographical structures that line up to make the ley. Um, so in any case, I did see, um, I, I, while that clip was playing, I popped down into the chat to see who, um, where, where did the comment go? Um, okay. Any certain date on this, which I discovered was Betty Lange. Betty, um, I'm sorry. I did you a little bit of a disservice here and welcome to connecting the universe. Uh, let me pop this banner up here for you. Um, on my end, you're showing up as as Facebook user because there's a, a setting you need to, and here's here it is here. Um, go to streamyard.com slash Facebook, and there's a little setting you need to do so I can see your name. Um, I can see it on, if I look down into Facebook, I can see it, but on my interface, which is StreamYard, I don't. So I, I should have posted that at the very beginning. I apologize. All right. So... So yeah, you have this interesting phenomenon with the thor with the thorny plants, and according to Muhammad, um, that has to do with the the static energy that's that's built up in that area uh, from the energy coming up from the ground, which is one of the reasons why they built these uh, why they built these sites there out of the materials that they did, so that they could harness that energy uh, to be able to use it for different purposes. When that's where we start talking about um you know, healing purposes or or uh accessing uh different states of consciousness or where they stargates and portals let's continue on 
because uh, this is an interesting location that we're going to hit next. We're going to um, go from Ireland over to the UK. No, not Stonehenge yet. <laughs> uh, we're actually going to be talking about the Rollwright Stones. Um, this is a interesting location. I have, I have not yet been, but um, what's interesting about this is the the research that has been done there into the energy within the ground. Um, and it, admittedly, I got this information from, from Freddie Silva. If you have not read his book, The Divine Blueprint, uh, Temples, Power Places, and the Global Plan to Shape the Human Soul, pick it up because it, it dives into all of this that we're talking about tonight. Um, the only bit that I grabbed for this evening from the book was Rollwright Sons. And he actually has a lot of um, an article on this on his website as well. So you can check that out. I'll, um, I'll, I'll pop that one into the group as well later on. Um, and admittedly, when we get to it, um, I grabbed this uh, illustration from there as it's a fantastic illustration. But okay, what are the Rollwright Stones? Okay, so this is uh, another ancient site. It had three phases to this. It had uh, the Whispering Knights Dolmen, uh, which is a collection of stones, not pictured here. This is the, the circle. Uh, but the Dolmen dates back to about 3800, 3500 BC. The, uh, the circle of stones here is called the King's Men. Uh, it's late Neolithic era, circa 2500 BC. So it's about a thousand years newer than the original Dolmen. And then a thousand years after that, there was a single stone that they call the King Stone uh, that they added. So it's in three phases. But what we're most interested in are, are these stones here, known as the King's Men, the circle. Now, there's some interesting history that goes along with, uh, with this that I, that I dug up. And it's not necessarily pertinent to our discussion about you know, the energy within the ground, what they may have used the stones for. It's just kind of, uh, you know, tracing the steps through history sort of thing. So let me show you what I mean. So the Rollwright stones themselves, they're first referred to in a late 12th century account uh, called the Wonders of Britain. There's, you kind of see the old English written out here. Uh, and in this, it says, in the region of Oxfordshire, Oxfordshire, if I could speak, Oxfordshire, or Shire, Oxfordshire, thank you. <laughs> In the region of Oxfordshire, there are great stones disposed as if by the hand of man. But at what time or by, why, or by what people or for what memorial or significance this was done is not known. However, that place is called Rolandric by the local people. So. There's kind of an evolution of the name over, over time. So at some point it was called Roland Red, ended up being Rollwright Stones. And uh, it's, it's interesting how, you know, 12th century, they're already saying we have no idea who put these there. You know, they're there. We don't know who did it. We don't know why they did it. There's this, but there's this circle that's here. Um, there is an illustration of it. This is kind of a recent find here uh, as they have cleaned up and restored older artwork. And this is from a tapestry in the uh, 1580s. This is known as a Sheldon Tapestry. It was commissioned by Ralph Sheldon. Uh, four, four tapestries in all, uh, illustrating the counties Gloucestershire, Worcestershire, Warwickshire, and Oxfordshire. Rollright stones are in Warwickshire. And you can see it's circled here in the, uh, on the tapestry where the stones are uh, but it's it's very cool because it's an old map all the all the tapestries are old maps uh, of those uh, of those counties and sure enough they included the the rollwright stones in there so uh, really really interesting so now let's get to the function of these stones and what they're doing this uh, illustration here that popped up a moment ago so what this depicts, and this is actually from a, a quote from uh, Freddie Silva's site. I just grabbed the thing and, and uh, popped it up here in my show notes. So 
1983, a compressive study was undertaken by engineer Charles Brooker to locate magnetism in sacred sites. The test subject was the Rollwright Stone Circle in England. A magnetometer survey of the site revealed how a band of magnetic force is attracted into the stone circle through a narrow gap of stones that act as the entrance. The band then, then spirals toward the center of the circle as though descending down a rabbit hole. Two of the stones, or stu sorry, two of the circle's western stones were also found to pulsate with concentric rings of alternating current resembling ripples in a pond. So that's absolutely fascinating that they were able to take these readings off a magnetometer and find that uh, electromagnetic energy was working in such a way within this stone circle. And, and again, um, you know, this is not going to be full power. It's kind of like, you know, Sean mentioned at the, at the very beginning in his comment, you know, this, over time, the power is diminished. These, these are not in their prime locations, but they're still able to be picked up on some of that energy. So imagine, you know, what the energy would have been like back in the day if we are, you know, getting glimpses of it now. Because, I mean, look at the stones. I mean, they're, they're extremely weathered down at this particular location. So um, I see Betty's asking where it is. So this is... Um, uh, County Warwickshire in the UK. Uh, so, yeah, even with these stones that worn down, they're able to pick up on these fascinating, fascinating readings uh, within the circle itself. Now, as I was collecting things for uh, for today's class, if you go to the Royal Wright Stones official webpage. At the top is a great overhead photo of the area. Uh, so you get a nice overhead uh, of the circle that's there and a couple of the other monuments. You guys notice what's in the background there in the field? Yeah, there are crop circles back there. <laughs> so I don't, I don't, maybe they purposely put it up there. I have, I don't know. Um, because the site didn't really say anything, at least not that I, I didn't have time to read through the entire site. Uh, but I, I find it really interesting that in this overhead photo of the stones, there you go in the background are crop circles. Uh, now, granted, many, many crop circles that are out there today are, are man-made and they're making these, you know, interesting you know designs and you know, some people are trying to fool the masses and all that but there are actually some legitimate uh crop circles that are completely unexplained again um you can actually refer to uh, freddie silva's work he has a he has a book on crop circles as well um and then darcy weir had a documentary uh victoria probably remembers it um she's good buddies with darcy too she probably remembers the name but uh, when we first had Darcy on last year on Edge of the Rabbit Hole, uh, he had just produced a crop circle documentary. So check that out too. Um, so when we talk about like a real crop circle, and this is just like a brief aside, because uh, I'm not going to get into crop circles and all that. I, I find it interesting that it's in the photo here uh, with the Rollwright stones, because one of the ideas of like a real crop circle is somatics. And with somatics, this is you guys will you know, recognize the phenomenon as the uh, sound making different patterns. So I don't know the specifics of the test, but basically, uh, you know, these you know sounds, sound waves are applied to uh, sand and the sand ends up making these different patterns. So in this particular illustration here, uh, they have these different keys. Uh, you know, there's sheet, uh, C sharp, D, D sharp, F, etc. And with these different, uh, with these different keys, it makes a different pattern. And so there are a number of people that believe that a true crop circle is created by uh, the electromagnetism of the earth welling up, creating the pattern 
much like somatics, and you're at a location like the Rollwright Stones, which is supposed to have this electromagnetic activity that occurs there. So for there to be uh, some sort of genuine crop circle, it's it's hard to see the the pattern of the circle that's back there, but you can see that circular in nature has some design work to it back there. Um, and it could very well be uh, one of these patterns here that you see on this somatics example. So I find that very interesting that they included uh, that particular photo on their on their website at the at the top. So um, let me check. You guys have a lot of comments coming in and down here. We have about 15 minutes left in the show. So let me see if you guys have some questions or comments I can address here real quick. Um, so here, thank you, Ann. <laughs> Much better explanation as I kind of bumbled through trying to explain somatics real quick. Um, so she posts, somatics is a subset of modal vibrational phenomena. Different patterns emerge in the excitatory medium depending on geometry of the plate and the driving frequency. So yeah, basically using sound waves, frequencies, et cetera. You have, you have the plate that's there with the, um, with the sand or other material. You, you charge the plate. Um, I think sometimes it might use a mixture of sand and water. I can't quite remember. I, I've, I've seen you know, videos of it and things like that. Um, it's, it's certainly a, uh, an area of research I want to dive a little bit more into because you know, I find that very interesting that you know, we hear sound. Um, we don't usually see it, but with somatics, you can actually see the sound. And you think about some of the other locations that we've talked about before and some of, and some of our other classes where we have talked about the, uh, uh, like the Great Pyramid of Giza being tuned to F-sharp. And we did that demonstration. We did that experiment in the Great Pyramid last June. Pyramids tuned to uh, F-sharp and then the, the, the coffer there, the supposed sarcophagus in the king's chamber, is tuned to A. Uh, we're basically confirming Tom Danley's experiments from back in the 80s or whenever he did those. So, uh, you know, fascinating. So, uh, all right. So, we're going to move on here. Uh, I mentioned earlier we'd, we'd get back to Stonehenge. So, we are going to hit uh, Stonehenge here uh, real quick because uh, Stonehenge, I, I think, gets a lot, a lot of attention. And rightfully so. Um, I mean, it's built approximately 5,000 years ago. The, uh, the stone circle itself. So I, I should say the, the original hinge monument around it was built 5,000 years ago. The stone circle itself, what, what everybody you know, is familiar with, was built more like around 4,500 years ago. So, you know, about a 500-year difference. But even before all of that, in the area are about four or five pits. You know, they, it's uh, approximate because of um, the conditions of the area. Um, I mean, part of it is now part of the parking lot, or as they say, the car park. Uh, but three of them appear to have held large pine totem pole-like posts that were erected between 8,500 and 7,000 BC. So we're talking about 10,000 years ago. What happened 10,000 years ago? We've kind of mentioned that a few times before. 10,000 years ago is like a magic number. Um, you know, we're, we're talking, and we're going to get to Gobekli Tepe here soon, but Gobekli Tepe is one of those 10,000 years ago thing. Um, younger dry ass era, era, all of that. Um, so it's a it's an important era uh, in in our human history that we're still trying to fit all the pieces together. Um, but like Tom said, there are you know some different stones there. And again, Tom, thanks for for posting that earlier. Uh, you have the taller sarsen stones, um, the origins of which are still not known. Don't know where they came from, uh, you know, how they erected them, all that. They're they're they got them from somewhere. They exist. Their origins are still unknown. The smaller blue stones that are within dragged all the way up from Wales, uh, about 125 miles away. So this would have been very, very important for them. So uses, we kind of talked about that a little bit earlier. There are a lot of different uses. There are burials that are located 
um, on the property. So I, I do not believe that uh, Stonehenge was a primary, you know, it, it's, it's not, a, um, not a tomb, you know, uh, but there are burials there. So at some point there may have been uh, a peoples that, you know, wanted to bury somebody at a special location. But you could have also had things like if, if you had a, a mass amount of people gathering for ceremonial purposes, you know, it's the, uh, you know, it's, it's the solstice. You know, we have some astronomical alignment here that we're celebrating. People are coming out and you might have a person or two, you know, you know, pass away while they're out there. And back then they may have just, you know, well, he passed away. That's lousy. We're going to bury him here. This is a sacred spot. You know, he, he passed away during whatever we're doing here. And so maybe you just buried him there. Um, so we, we don't know for sure, you know, why they would have been buried there since it's not a conventional tomb or burial mound or what have you. Uh, but, but there are people that are buried there. Uh, but, you know, it was a ceremonial location. It was a, a pilgrimage spot. Um, some people said there's a harmonic convergence there. Uh, the site does predate the Druids by at least 2,000 years, uh, but modern Druidic societies still view it as a pilgrimage destination. So uh, you do have those big, big celebrations and parties and things like that. You know, large gatherings that still come out there to this day uh, to celebrate, which I think is great. You know, they're they're trying to they're trying to tap into that that old energy and see can can we, you know, revisit uh, and try to figure out you know, what they use that for, you know, is there, can we, can we raise our consciousness level by going there and celebrating at these certain specific times? Um, you know, maybe, maybe not as much as it used to be because the site is very much in disrepair, you know, so it's not going to be at its prime power. Um, but, um, it's too bad Adam Tillery isn't a part, uh, you know, the connected universe portal yet, you know, Guys, we got we got to talk him into it because because Adam Adam was there. I've not yet been to to Stonehenge, but um, but our good friend Adam was was out there. It was a year and a half, two years ago, something like that. Um, that was probably before COVID. But in any case, he talked about the uh, uh, you know the power that he felt while he was there. So um, so that is kind of interesting. We're gonna again find another connection here. From Stonehenge. So this is an interesting uh, quip. So research is studying DNA extracted from Neolithic human remains across Britain determined that the ancestors of the people who built Stonehenge were farmers who came from the eastern Mediterranean, traveling west from there. DNA studies indicate that they had a predominantly Aegean ancestry, although their agricultural techniques seem to have come originally from Anatolia, which is modern day Turkey. And what do we find in Turkey? We find Gobekli Tepe, which again, I mean, this is a, um, it's, it's known now as the world's oldest temple site. But what you see here are stone circles. So you have these tall pillars with anthropomorphic characters carved on them in these circle formations. Uh, absolutely amazing location. So, and, and we've only uncovered 5% of it so far. Exca excavations began by uh, Klaus Schmidt in 1995. This site was originally discovered in the 1960s, but um, you know, it wasn't taken seriously. But Klaus Schmidt decided, you know what, I'm gonna excavate there. There's, there is something really to be had about this location. And um, yeah, what he ended up discovering was the oldest temple site. And, you know, it's one of those that really helped um, those like Robert Schock, John Anthony West, who were trying to tell the world, you know, this, like the Sphinx is older. You know, some of these locations are much, much older than we, than we have previously believed. And people were laughing them out the door. Shock's a geologist. And he's like, I'm just, I'm looking at the geology. I'm, this is what the geology tells me. 
um, that it is much, much older. And one of the excuses was we don't have civilization and other you know, sites around the world that are that age. And then all of a sudden, here comes the excavations of Gobekli Tepe that, that changed that narrative. There's still old standbys to the previous dogma, but you know, these sites are much, much older. Um, Gobekli Tepe. So this is, and they have this roof structure over it now, which is kind of controversial. A lot of, they're, they're trying to protect the site since they've opened it back to the air. Uh, but you, then you can't see the stars from there. But it's occupied between 9,500 and 8,000 BC. Uh, the occupation there ended about 500 years before the, fir the first pole structures at Stonehenge. Not the stone structures, but those original uh, uh, pine totem pole-like uh, posts that we, that we talked about. Um, so you can, you can kind of say, well, maybe they you know, started there. You know, around the Gobekli Tepe area and migrated over, you know, 500 years, taking with them some of their old customs and they started building the hinge monuments there. Um, because you see the, uh, the DNA connections from one to the other and you see the, the agricultural methods from one to the other. So you have these different connections across. So we're talking, we talked earlier, connections between Ireland and Egypt. Now we're talking connections between UK and uh, Gobekli Tepe. So it's really, really fascinating how all these places are connected like that. Um, so what's all, what's also interesting is that um, it's astronomically aligned, uh, but mainstream scholars still debate this. Uh, you, you have these pillars with these anthropomorphic characters on there. And there are those who believe that these are, you know, parts of, of the Zodiac. But the Zodiacs, you know, according to mainstream, wasn't invented until about 2,500 years ago. So there's a big gap of time between, you know, what our conventional dating for the Zodiac is and Gobekli Tepe. Um, so you know, from the things I've been researching, uh, I mentioned Robert Schock earlier. This is a comment in his Forgotten Civilization book. This is about Pillar Pillar 18 at Gobekli Tepe. And this is a, it doesn't look like much that I have on your screen there, uh, but that is a, the belt on Pillar 18. This is his quote. Um, the belt of Pillar 18 corresponds to the belt stars of Orion. In the fox pelt loincloth, which you can kind of see partially in that photo, uh, can be seen as equivalent to the Orion Nebula, which hangs from the belt in the constellation, sometimes referred to as the sword or the sword sheath of Orion. And Orion is surrounded by the Zodiac, a series of constellations, just as Pillar 18 is surrounded by smaller pillars. Do we have an umbilical connection to Orion? After all, Orion is the birthplace of stars. So, um, so you're seeing, you know, these these connections between uh, between Orion, constellation of Orion, and uh, and Gobekli Tepe. We've already seen Orion connected to uh, the Giza pyramids. We saw Orion connected to Napta Playa, to um, uh, the uh, the the one <laughs> in Ireland. That's the one that begins with a B. Balting glass. Because um, it has the same alignment as Napta Playa, so you see all these connections back to Orion, back to Orion, back to Orion, and so and there are people who believe that you know, we that human race is originally from the constellation of Orion, uh, specifically uh, the star Sirius, and you see like the ancient Dogon tribes where they they knew of um, you know the the Sirius star cluster. Um, and aspects of it, you know, before our astronomers were even to see it, able to see it with you know, our telescopes. And like, well, this is the formation up there. And sure enough, uh, they were correct. So you see all these, all these fascinating connections. So it's still debatable as to, you know, whether it's the zodiacal alignments, certainly some sort of astronomical alignment. 
uh, whether or not the Zodiac comes into play. Again, we keep finding that things are much older than previously believed. And if you watch my Facebook feed, uh, you'll see I, I end up posting a lot of articles about, hey, you know, this thing here is older, that thing there. You know, they discovered that one was older. They, they keep doing that. And then, of course, just real quick, because we are at our hour mark, um, the ultimate circle. Atlantis. <laughs> yeah, there's something about uh, these different circle structures that have been with us throughout all time. Is it a call back to Atlantis? Um, you know, you see in this illustration here, the it, it almost looks like a space elevator that they have. And I, I believe that um, what was in that in that temple in the center of Atlantis was a stargate or a portal. And uh, I think that's what you know, a lot of these stone circles were, you know, trying to harness. I think there's, you know, there's a faint memory there of the Atlantean culture, of you know, the circle structures that they had, and the power that they were able to create and connect to, uh, you know, these these ancient star systems. I think that they're trying to, in a way, be able to reconnect to that and in some ways i think that, that they did back in ancient times um that they were able to establish those you know some of those portals and that they were able to establish those altered states of consciousness with the energy and the power that were were within the circles and yeah we've lost that knowledge over time and uh you know i think over over time we'll we'll gain it back um i think it's a matter of expanding our minds and you know we're, we're doing that you know it's you know, we're having those conversations. We're exploring those different possibilities in, you know, just in in groups like this, where, sure, I'm giving a presentation, but you guys are asking your questions. You're throwing your ideas out there, and we are having our own our own discussion here. Speaking of which, let me uh, let me pop back down into uh, into here. Get a couple more questions or comments here. Um, so Victoria, uh, do you think the same thing as the Aya Sahara? It was destroyed about uh, 12,500 years ago. Aya Sahara has um, pretty much been regarded as a geological structure. Um, yeah, I've, I've, I've seen some, uh, some material on it, some documentaries and things like that. But even the ancient aliens guys who are really open to a lot of these places being uh, structures and uh, you know, visited by extraterrestrials and all that. Even those guys are like, you know, this, it's a geological structure. It, it wasn't a city. Um, so let's see. That's funny with Anne. She was just having a conversation with uh, somebody today about that. Fantastic. And uh, what if it's not just a callback to Atlantis, but what came before Atlantis, like whatever is back home, the home that is not here, but up in the skies. Well, yeah, and I think that's what, Atlantis may have been connected to. I think that may have been like our last real connection to that home. And then that was severed. And I think we've been trying to gain it back. So yeah, I think there was definitely a previous home. Um, and then Sarah, let's see, could these stone structures have the same function of crop circles as being messages? Oh, I definitely believe there are messages uh, encoded within the circles. Um, and I think... As we continue to excavate Gobekli Tepe, which has been a lot slower since Klaus Schmidt passed away, and, and that's only at 5%, I think we'll gain a better understanding of exactly what those messages may have been. Um, but it, it's a matter of, of trying to decode that. So, um, all right, everybody, we are at our hour. going to go ahead and wrap this up. So for those listening to the podcast later, please join us out here, connecttheuniverseportal.com. Join us for the presentation. Uh, you can, you know, ask your questions, interact. You know, you can actually see the video clips and slides and all that wonderful stuff. And then there's all kinds of extra material uh, within the membership site between the articles and the behind the scenes videos. You got your monthly Q and A videos. A uh, lot of information and interaction there uh, within the membership site. So, all right, everybody, you have a, a great night, great week. Tomorrow we're going to take, or not tomorrow, next week, we're going to take the 
the idea of the stone circles in another direction. And we're going to talk about uh, secret societies, ancient cults, things like that. We're going to go down that road. But a lot of those still utilize that, uh, you know, the idea of the circle. So, all right, everybody, have a great night. Till next time. Time really exists.